Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and I are going to be talking about mountain bike frames. You know, the frame is easily the most visible part of any bike build, and a well-built mountain bike frame can last for decades. So today we're going to focus on the most common materials used in mountain bike frames, and we'll discuss some of the fabrication techniques and also talk about the pros and cons of each type of mountain bike frame. So a lot of our materials discussion will also apply to bike parts like handlebars and seat posts as well. So hopefully it'll be good information all the way around. Let's kick this off by starting at the most classic of bike frame materials, steel. So Aaron, what is the process for building a steel mountain bike frame? Well, before we get started talking about that, I just want to, as a disclaimer, say that neither Jeff nor I are uh, bicycle manufacturers or materials experts. So if we get any of this wrong, you might not know. <laughs> We're going to get most of it right. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get like 80 to 90% of the way there and like yeah. knowing what you're looking at and what you're talking about. But yes, we will make mistakes. You just know some, some armchair engineer is going to yes. send an email. As you said, steel is probably the most classic material that we have for any bike, but particularly mountain bikes. It was widely used back in the early 80s when uh, mountain bikes first came into mass production existence. Before that, they were using like old steel cruisers and converting them into mountain bikes. So steel's always been part of the sport. But the, there's kind of there's a couple different ways that you can construct a steel frame. Obviously, you have tubes, and these tubes are mitered, and that means they're cut at certain angles to fit together nicely you want nice tight joints in between your tubes and then the way you join those tubes is done in a couple different ways you can either do brazing which uses bronze which is a metal alloy of mostly copper has some tin in there and maybe a few other metals and it's kind of like gluing the tubes together if you want to think about it that way So bronze has a lower melting point, I believe is the correct term, than steel. So the bronze will melt and it will fill in the gaps in between the tubes. And when it cools, you have a really strong joint there. And then kind of the cool thing about brazing is you can sand it after you're done. And that leaves like a really nice, smooth, cool looking joint. Yes. Yeah, it looks really good. And the it's usually like a different color too, right? Because the bronze has a lot of copper in it. It's it's like copper color, right? Yeah, and the steel yeah. is Yeah, it's kind of a yeah, like golden almost. Um a lot of times that gets painted over, but you will see some frames that will just opt for clear coat instead of paint just to kind of show off that uh that brazing, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Wasn't there a bike we saw recently that they did like fake brazing where they like painted the welds or something i don't know yeah i don't want to call anybody out but there was (laughs) we definitely did see that um i should have mentioned before this i meant to uh lugged construction is probably the simplest way to join steel tubes together it's kind of like an erector set you have lugs which are used at the joints and the tubes are just straight tubes and they plug into those lugs and then you braze them together and uh, you've got a frame. Yeah. Sort of like PVC pipe, you know, if you like ever joined that together, but where do they get the actual lugs? Is that, are those like kind of stock or do people actually build up their own lugs? There are stock lugs and then you can obviously take those and cut them up and customize them. But I think people make their own lugs too, maybe. Yeah. You would have to, to get special angles and things, you know, because right. the, the lugs are going to have some kind of angle on them. Right. Yeah. So they'll kind of dictate where your you know, the angle of your seat tube, the angle of your top tube, head tube, all that kind of stuff um, will be dictated by the lugs. If you, if you've ever seen kind of like a kit in a box, build your own bike thing. The bamboo bikes. 
they they usually come with uh, lugs because that's that's the easiest way to do it. Because it kind of with these other techniques for joining, you really need a jig to make sure everything is aligned properly. Right. Yeah, and uh, because it overlaps too, there's some extra weight involved in using lugs. Um, and I, I think you mentioned it too. You know, it has a very distinct look when you see bikes that are lugged. Um, I'm not a big fan of the look, but it is sort of a classic look that some people are into. Yeah, you don't see much of it in mountain bikes, I'd say. You probably think more of uh, lugged bikes being road bikes, but they do allow for some creativity because you can carve all sorts of shapes or designs into the lugs themselves for a unique look. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the f- I guess the final way you can join tubes together is with TIG welding, which stands for tungsten inert gas, at least according to the internet. So that it you're using, a, I guess they call it a torch. Um, and then you have like a welding rod and you heat up the welding rod basically well the welding rod melts into place and that's what joins the tubes so if you think about brazing kind of like glue uh, mm-hmm. maybe tig welding would be almost like sewing it together or something maybe a better analog yeah the tig there's definitely like a chemical reaction and the the metals are like bonded and fused together uh, in a different way. Which one of those would you say is more common with steel frames? Well, I would say that kind of depends on what you're talking about. If you're talking about a mass-produced steel frame, they're probably going to be TIG-welded, whereas like a custom steel frame might be brazed instead. Okay. So why do so many like custom and local builders prefer to use steel these days? Again, I'm not a builder, so um, I don't know for sure. But my guess would be there's kind of a variety of factors. One being it's pretty easy to learn from what I've heard and what I've seen and some of the ding-dongs I've seen <laughs> welding up bikes. <laughs> so it's I think just the, the learning curve in dealing with the material itself is pretty easy, relatively speaking. It's a forgiving material, which, you know, so there's some leeway there if you make mistakes early on. It's cheap as far as frame materials go, and you can get it really easily. So it's readily available. Nice. So we kind of mentioned these, and steel's been around for a really long time, but obviously there are other choices. What are the advantages of a steel bike frame over some other materials? I would say ride quality is probably one of the big ones. I know you hear steel is real all the time, and when people talk about steel bikes and some of that is referring to the ride quality. It's just got a nice kind of lively ride to it that uh, does a pretty good job of, um, you know, soaking up some of the small stuff on the trail. So yeah, it's more flexible than say aluminum or carbon fiber. Right. It's really durable. You can, you can throw your steel bike down a flight of stairs every day when you get home if you want and keep riding it. So along the lines of it being durable, it's also repairable, whereas most of the other materials on this list are not going to be, at least as extensively as steel is. It's inexpensive unless it's a custom bike. And then even still on the the range of custom bikes, a steel bike is going to be certainly more affordable than a custom carbon bike, let's say. Yeah. And that's one of the dings, I guess, that people have on steel or they think that it's not as good as aluminum or carbon because it is inexpensive a lot of times. We associate it, yeah, we associate it though with like department store bikes and yeah, bikes that are really heavy. Be- because, yeah, because most department store bikes are made out of steel and they're made out of cheap steel, which is heavy. So, yep. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a cool factor there. I think that that has to count for something, you know, just like people like different things. People think steel's cool. Yeah. I think it's cool personally yeah it's got like a retro kind of vibe to it yeah and it's recyclable if that matters to anyone yeah and when you say recyclable too you're not just talking about like you know when you're done with the bike like you can recycle the bike but that's part of the process too of you know building these bikes where you're cutting tubes and you know all the metal filings and all that stuff every bit of that is recyclable and so yeah there's less waste so that's a lot of advantages. What about the disadvantages of a steel bike frame? Well, you kind of mentioned this one and its weight. And 
I guess it that isn't really as big a downside with modern tube sets because most modern tube sets are butted, sometimes even triple butted, at least double butted. And that means that they have different um, wall thicknesses throughout the length of a tube because you don't need that same thickness of material everywhere. So maybe it needs to be a certain thickness where the tubes are joining, where they're going to be exposed to a lot of heat during the construction process and where they're going to be exposed to a lot of stress from riding. So areas like the head tube and the down tube joining the, the bottom bracket, those are high stress areas. So you want a thicker material there, but, and then let's say those long expanses of tubes from your bottom bracket to your head tube or from your seat tube to your head tube, they don't need to be that thick all the way across their length. So the middle sections are actually butted. So they're actually thinner through there and they can save weight. And then, like I said, there are now triple butted tubes that are have three different thicknesses along their length. So they can get really light. I mean, if you, you know, if, if you have a really nice custom frame with a really nice tube set and you build it up with nice components, um, you can get a geared hardtail easily in the low 20s. So, you know, weight is always one that people just because it has that reputation, like you said, from mm-hmm. kind of being cheap, it can't be good. But if you're talking about the high end, you can certainly get light. That said, I mean, you know, I have a Kona Hanzo, which is a, it's the steel frame and definitely relatively cheap. I think it's like a 500 or $550 frame, like full retail. It is very heavy because it's just, it's just like inexpensive chromoly steel. But I mean, it probably, and it's a big frame too. So but that thing probably weighs, you know, seven pounds, which is basically what like a full suspension frame of the size that I would ride would weigh. Right. Wow. Yeah, I was going to mention too, you don't see a lot of high-end steel full suspension bikes. When when you talk about like a nice steel frame, you're almost always talking about hardtails, right? Yeah, there you won't really see like a mass-produced steel full suspension. And I think a lot of that comes down to weight because when you start building that rear triangle, you have to use, obviously you have to use smaller tubes. And since you're using smaller tubes, you have to use more of them and, you know, buttress them more. And so you just really, the the weight starts to add up quickly. Right. And then one other disadvantage is that steel bike frames can be relatively more maintenance. What what does that mean exactly? I mean, this is another one people, you know, I've debated with people about this, but (laughs) steel can rust. Yes. Right. So you do need to take certain precautions to make sure your frame isn't rusting from the inside out. Right. Or if you get like chip, you chip your paint or something, you know, from rocks and things. Yeah. I guess you could start to develop rust spots on the frame. Yeah. And, and this, this is a concern. I mean, if you do ride in the wet a lot, you're going to want to use something like frame saver, which is a, a coating that you spray on the inside of your frame that just prevents rust from uh, developing. You want to do that about once a season. If you ride in the rain, you want to be sure to pull your seat post out. I mean, that's a good idea on any bike, but mm-hmm. pull your seat post out and just make sure you turn your frame upside down and make sure there's no water inside your frame. That will also prevent your post from seizing inside your frame, which can happen. And uh, mm-hmm. I've seen it happen. And that can, it's a good way to either ruin a seat post or ruin a frame or both. Or both. Yeah. You could two birds, one stone kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I had somebody tell me that I needed to like take care of this tiny little, you know, paint chip on one of my steel hardtails because it was going to rust. <laughs> it will, but it'll, it'll take 10, 20 years and you'll be sorry. You'll be sorry about that. 30 years from now, <laughs> it'll be like, it'll, oh, I can't ride this bike anymore. It might be an issue. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's only an issue that I guess if you live on the next to the ocean, maybe, and you've got salt. Well, I had never heard, I mean, just you said you would spray stuff inside the frame. I'd never heard that. I, I assumed any maintenance you would do would be on the outside of the frame. But that makes sense that the most vulnerable parts of a steel frame are actually inside the tubes where there isn't paint or you know any other finishes on them. Right. Some companies do come with a, a coating new in there, but yeah, something like Frame Saver. I think that's the actual brand name, but something along those lines. You just take your bike apart once a year. It's good. You know, if you're overhauling your bike anyway, just take it apart and, you know, take your fork out, take your seat tube out, take your cranks out and just spray inside all your tubes and should be good. Okay. That's a great tip for people who own steel mountain bike frames. 
moving on to aluminum. So aluminum sort of came after steel or it at least gained a lot more popularity in mountain biking in the years following sort of the beginning of mountain biking. So how are aluminum frames built? Is it similar to steel or is there a little bit different process involved? I think in general, the process is pretty similar, right? You have a bunch of different tubes and you weld them together in a jig. Right. And yeah, there, I did a little research and, you know, if you, if you wanted to build a frame out of aluminum or steel, you know, you can go online and you find various shapes and sizes of tubes. You know, there are companies that sell aluminum tubing like Fairing, Columbus, and Nova. And they basically have, you know, all different shapes and sizes. And especially with aluminum, you can have, you know, sort of your typical rounded like tube profiles, but then they have others that are already like hydroformed and come in different, different shapes for different parts of the bike too. So you get, you buy your seat tube, you buy your head tube, and then you put it all together. So how are the tubes sort of joined together for aluminum? Is that, is that different from steel? I mean, I, th- I think you're mostly dealing with TIG welding again. I don't know as far as like the welding rods, like if the material itself is different, I would think it would be. But yeah, it's a, it's a similar process. I mean, you can't you can't braze aluminum together. So there's basically only one way to join aluminum tubes, and that's welding. Right. So from what I understand, a lot of aluminum frames are fabricated overseas, and just there aren't a lot of people or factories doing aluminum welding, aluminum bike frame fabrication in the U.S. Why is that? Uh, I mean, it comes down to cost, really. It's a very labor-intensive process, and it's a, a highly skilled process. I think aluminum is, a, you know, it's a pretty difficult material to work with. You need to know what you're doing. You know, frames need heat treating after they're welded. Um, so that's another step, like something above and beyond what you have with with steel frames, because when you when you heat when you weld the frame, it creates a lot of heat, and that actually warps the frame, and then you have to go back and realign it. So that happens a little bit with steel, but I think steel is more, what's the word, ductile? Yes. Yeah. That's a good word. Nailed it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's easier to kind of get back in line. So, I mean, that's why you also see, uh, you don't see many people building aluminum frames in their garage because they don't have the equipment to heat treat a frame. But Right. Yeah, so it comes down to price. I mean, if you think about it, so it's, a, it's really labor-intensive. Labor in the U.S., just costs more. Um, and this is skilled labor, so it's going to cost even more. So most U.S. manufacturers that did make aluminum frames previously have abandoned that in, in favor of overseas carbon. I mean, we're starting to see that you know companies are just kind of neglecting their aluminum offerings altogether in favor of carbon. Because, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like this is, everybody says they want made-in-the-U.S. bikes and blah, 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 but that's until they see the price, you know, because if you look at the price of a aluminum frame and I think Gorilla, you know, and to, to give a shout out to Gorilla Gravity, they have brought their prices down on their aluminum frames, but I still think, you know, you're talking somewhere around maybe 2,500 bucks or something like that for mm-hmm. uh, an aluminum frame. And when you look at that, a lot of people are just going to say, I want carbon. If I'm spending that much money on a bike, I want a carbon bike. And that's, I mean, which is a shame because I alloy bikes are awesome or aluminum bikes are are, are awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because we are seeing that. We saw it over the last couple of years. We saw a lot of bike companies getting rid of the aluminum bikes in their line and replacing them with carbon versions. Uh, but just this year, you know, just the last few months, I feel like we've seen a bit of a swing back the other way with companies bringing back their aluminum bikes. Do you think... What could be driving that? Is Are the costs changing or are people identifying new places to fabricate or is it just a hole, I guess, in the company's product lineup that they're looking to fill again? I think it's just a hole in the line. Companies looking to offer more price points. I think you're probably, one of the companies you're referencing is Intense and they used to be all about U.S. manufacturing and they made these beautiful aluminum bikes in the U.S. and then they started producing carbon, and then I think a year or two ago, they totally ditched their aluminum line. But just this week or last week, maybe, they announced that they were 
reintroducing an aluminum model, which was kind of a surprise. But it's a price point model for them. So I think the complete bike was what? Twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, so this good deal. There's no way that I I didn't read the fine print, but I I don't think there's any way that frame is being made in the U.S. They're definitely no. have now shifted their aluminum manufacturing overseas as well. Right, and that's like I don't want people to get the impression that we're like down on overseas manufacturing. I mean, it, it's just that's where the la- the talent is. You know, that's where people know how to build bikes and know how to work with these materials, and they've been doing it for. Decades and decades. Right. Yeah, we'll we'll mention that a lot more when we talk about carbon. But yeah, obviously people are voting with their wallets, you know. People people may vote with their voices or their internet comments and say, blah, I don't want to buy USA or I don't want to buy bikes made overseas. But then when it comes down to the real vote, which is, you know, spending their money, they're not doing it. They're going to buy the cheapest bike, you know, or to get the best value that they can for their dollar. Yeah. So you can't argue with that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. That's just how the world works. And then, yeah, I also wanted to mention, uh, I think like Niner came out with the reintroduced like their Jet 9, right? Didn't they get rid of the Jet 9 aluminum and brought it back in the last couple of years? Was it the Jet? I don't know. They've got so many bikes. But yeah, I think they're doing... They're doing a good mix of of carbon and aluminum, and and like I said, I think they're just they're filling a hole. I mean, bikes in general are just so expensive now. They want to be able to offer more price points because that gets somebody acquainted with the brand. They get them to be a fan of the brand, and when they're ready to step up on their next bike, if you will, then hopefully they'll you know get them to buy a carbon bike. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've always thought of, you know, when looking at the bike industry is thinking about, you know, computers like PCs back in the nineties when, you know, it was all about like when you bought a Dell or something, you're really just buying a case that all these components were in, you know, the hard drive and the CD player and like all that stuff that really mattered. And to some degree, bikes are that way. So if you're looking at a bike and there's a carbon version and an aluminum version. If you can get the same components on both, then really, I personally would go for the aluminum one because it's all about having good components on your bike and the frame material isn't super important in that in that way. I would agree with that. So let's talk about the advantages of aluminum. Uh, we mentioned, I think, that it's lighter than steel, uh, but obviously it's not as light as carbon. What else is so great about aluminum for bike frames? Um, you can make it really stiff, which can be a good thing um, in certain ways. You know, you can get really good stiffness at the bottom bracket and head tube, so you get a really precise handling bike. And that's because you can, since it's lighter than steel, you can use larger diameter tubes. You can make these really big tubes that are very thin and very light, but very stiff. Yeah, and that's one of the ways I try to identify bikes too. Or you know, it's a a good trick if you're looking at a bike if it does have those big like sort of oversized tubes and you know it's some kind of metal then it's probably aluminum versus a steel frame that's going to have you know slightly smaller tubes and not always the really complex shapes like i think you mentioned you know where aluminum is often hydroformed and you know there's interesting like triangle almost triangle or trapezoidal shape tubes that you can create with aluminum and then aluminum, like steel, is recyclable. So again, all the waste that you know is generated when you create a frame is recyclable. And then obviously the bikes themselves, if they ever do, end up in the recycling bin. Aluminum's basically endlessly recyclable, right? Yeah, that's what I was taught in engineering. Yeah. I will, uh, a couple other things to add, just when you're talking about ways to identify frame material. Another one I always look for is the welds themselves. So if you... Look at a aluminum bike, generally the bead, that's what they call it, the weld bead around the joints is going to be much larger than um, than it is on steel. So if you see the welds and they're like almost as wide as your pinky, that's probably an aluminum bike. Nice. And it's also relatively cheap, right? Like, I mean, at least on the, I mean, that's why we're seeing these price point bikes that typically have aluminum frames. But I mean, you can you can go out and you can find a, a straight up aluminum hardtail for four or five hundred bucks, just a frame itself. You know, a good quality frame for five hundred bucks all day long. Yeah, I feel like those prices too have come down. You know, over the last couple of decades, like you know, in the early days when I was starting out in mountain biking, aluminum frames frames were 
expensive. They were much more expensive than steel frames. Because they were cutting edge at the time. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, now they can just melt down a bunch of aluminum cans and throw together a bike. So. <laughs> so there must be some disadvantages of aluminum for bikes. Where does aluminum fall short compared to steel and carbon? Probably in the ride quality. It can be harsh. But again, I think what's important to note is these these materials aren't frozen in time. All the materials we're going to talk about today are continuously getting better and they're learning new techniques new tube profiles, different buddings and stuff like that. So a lot of these kind of disadvantages we're talking about here are sort of relics of the past, I would say almost. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're getting, everything's kind of getting closer together. Cause like you said, tubing, you know, there's, there's triple butted now. So will we see quad butted? Yes. Who knows? I mean, computers, right. Are, are what are making this possible. You can analyze down to the you know, atom level, like where stresses are going to form and, you know, how you can configure everything to take advantage of that. So, yeah, I think I think we'll definitely see these material advantages and disadvantages kind of blend together. Yeah. And, and it's just it's all a learning process. I think when aluminum first came on the scene, you like you said, you see these bikes with huge tubes. And so that kind of looked cool. Everybody thought that was the cutting edge thing. You know, the new new material on the scene so they just welded up all these huge tubes and well that was awesome for stiffness but as we've talked about on a previous podcast you can make something too stiff to the point where it's harsh and uncomfortable to ride yeah absolutely and it's not aero <laughs> no not aero the other thing i guess this is a, a slight disadvantage is you can't really repair aluminum so if you bend it can't bend it back into place like you can with a steel frame. Um, you can't really weld it again unless you go through the whole heat treating process, which I don't even know if you can do really, or if it's a good idea to do to those welds. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's advisable. Yeah, yeah. The, just the way that aluminum yields, you know, when it's under stress, it it almost not to the degree of carbon fiber, but it almost kind of snaps compared to steel, which is just kind of you know, going to get longer and bend a little bit. Yeah. What's that? Uh, what's that word again? Is that ductility? Yeah. The ductility, I think th those are all good words. Yeah. It deforms before it breaks. Yes. I have to dust off my textbooks for that. Now, another material, another metal material that is used for mountain bikes is titanium. And titanium, I was reading, has just 56% of the density of steel. So if you had a block of steel and a block of titanium, titanium is going to weigh like half of what the steel does, which is pretty awesome because mountain bikers like lightweight stuff. That we do. So what makes titanium different? Is it kind of the same as steel or is it more like aluminum? I would say it's kind of a blend of the two, right? I don't know best way to put it but <laughs> you get kind of the the nice ride qualities that you typically think of out of a steel bike but you get those at a lot lower weight so kind of that lightweight advantage of the aluminum the ride quality of a steel and it looks really cool too yeah definitely so i understand that it does take more skill to weld titanium and so it's kind of a difficult material to work with. There are some custom bike makers use it, and then there are a few larger producers like Linsky and Moots. Yeah. M Moots is, but they're not even that big. I went there last summer, and I think they have three, maybe four people that weld bikes. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's all they do. They have like a couple of them that work on the, like one guy tacks them up and then a couple others do the finish welding. But hmm. yeah, they're they're not a big company and it is it's very very tough to deal with. Yeah. Well, let's talk then. Let's start this time with the disadvantages. So, uh it's it sounds like it's very difficult to work with and it's also expensive, right? Which is probably why we don't see a lot of those bikes out there. Very expensive. There are stock producers like Linsky and I think Moots does offer stock sizes of their frames but you can also go the full custom route but yeah you're talking at least a couple thousand dollars for a frame if not more and then obviously going custom is going to add additional cost yeah and we when we put together 
a list of the most expensive cross-country mountain bike you could buy. I did a lot of research for that, trying to find different parts I could put on it that were really expensive. And almost all of them were titanium. Like if you want a titanium handlebar, that's 400 bucks. If you want, you can get like a titanium uh, cassette, which again, it's going to be really lightweight, but it's also really expensive. So expensive, expensive seems to be the big problem with titanium. I guess it's just not as an abundant an element, right? So that's part of the just scarcity of it. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the advantages of titanium? Why are people using it if it's so dang expensive? Well, it's really light. We mentioned that. Really good ride quality. I think we mentioned that too. Better fatigue life than aluminum. I mean, it's on par with steel. Like If you have a nice, even if you don't have a nice steel bike, I suppose, if you have a steel bike that you take care of and you have a titanium bike that you take care of, they will last a lifetime. Those are things that you can ride forever. Whereas aluminum definitely has a fatigue life and eventually an aluminum frame will fail. I mean, if you're riding it regularly. So I would say the lifespan of a titanium bike is is longer. And again, like the steel bike, I think you kind of have some of the cool factor there. Yeah. Because it's like, who has titanium? Right. It's rare. Yeah. And like you said, with the fatigue life on it too, you know, it's so resilient that a lot of manufacturers, they use that to their advantage. So they design the frame to flex in certain places. I know we talked about, uh, maybe in the last episode, we were talking about soft tail mountain bikes and Moots has one of these. And the explanation that I got about how it works is, you know, you have an elastomer up at the, the junction where the seat stays and the seat tube come together. But then that's it. Like that's the only moving part. And the rest of the flexing is actually the chain stays on the bike, the titanium chain stays. And you can apparently flex these things a lot of times and it's not going to affect the frame at all. It's not going to wear out. Unlike aluminum, you know, you couldn't, I don't think you could make an aluminum soft tail mountain bike uh, for that reason. So definitely an advantage. And then also titanium doesn't rust, right? Oh yeah. That's another one. Yeah. So that's something to consider too. Well, speaking of materials that don't rust, let's jump into carbon. And this is a material that a lot of people are using in mountain bikes today. It's surprisingly common. I We should run a survey to see like what percentage Ooh. of people have a carbon mountain bike. But Yeah, that'd be a good survey question. I bet it's, I bet it's at least half at this point. I don't know. Just guessing. I'd say more like a quarter, but still, yeah. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if, if you're talking about frame or just components and like running any I'm thinking carbon. the frame. Yeah. I would say probably a quarter. Yeah, it just seems like a lot of the bikes, at least the ones we look at from companies, you know, if you look at their lineup, it seems like well over half of the bikes in their lineup are going to be carbon. But again, that doesn't account for sort of the lower end of the market where we don't always uh, pay a lot of attention. So carbon basics. So tell us a little bit about how carbon is put together. What's What are the basic parts of that? Carbon is a fabric, or at least that's how it's used in bicycles. So you take a strand of carbon, like a thread, and you create a a weave out of that. So you have a sheet of carbon fabric. You impregnate that with resin, and then you roll it up, and you ship it off to bike companies. And then when they get it, they roll it out, they cut it up into little pieces for the frame, like little tiny pieces. And we're not talking like they cut out you know, yeah. a tube out of it. This is a flat sheet. Yeah. And they just cut it with like scissors too. I mean, it's like you said, it's like a textile. Well, I mean, maybe if you or I were to make a, a carbon fiber bike at our house, we'd do that. But they use like these big cutting, like laser guided cutting tables. Okay. Yeah. So they cut up all the pieces that you need for a bike. And then those little pieces get placed in a, uh, typically an aluminum mold, I believe around a bladder and then so you whatever shape you're making like let's say you're making the front triangle of a bike you have the mold that looks like the front triangle you know the two halves and then you have a bladder inside that and you wrap the bladder with all the carbon pieces in a very specific way that's called the layup and that's like you know the the overall process of how you make a carbon bike isn't a secret but what companies do, or at least what they tell you that they like guard closely is their layup. And the reason that's important is depending on how you 
orient each individual piece of fabric is going to change the ride quality of your bike. And that's one of the cool things about carbon, right? Like you can move it around to make it stiff in this direction, but you want to make it flex in that direction. And you can do that with this material, which isn't something you can do with the other the, the metals that we've talked about. So, and this isn't just like one piece of carbon, you know, like your down tube isn't just like two pieces of carbon joined together around a bladder. Like there's several pieces in there, layer upon layer. And once you have all the layers in place, you put the other side of the mold on, you bolt it together and you hook up some sort of gas air or something into the bladder that's inside the mold. And you put that whole shebang in basically an oven and you heat it and the pressure from the bladder presses that carbon out against the outside of the mold and you bake that essentially in the oven and when it comes out you have a bicycle part whatever that is whether that's a frame or a wheel or a handlebar or whatever yeah and it's unique from the other methods that we talked about and that you don't you don't create like tubes and then join them together. Like it's all basically one continuous piece, whether you're talking the front triangle or the rear or if it's a hardtail, basically the whole bike, right? Yeah. I mean, there is, it, it depends. There are certain sections that they will build together and then just join the other pieces like Legos and they just glue them together. And they did, I mean, some of the early carbon fiber bikes were, is actually pretty interesting because it uses a combination of materials and techniques that we've talked about so if you look back to old trek some of the some of the first trek carbon fiber bikes used aluminum lugs and carbon fiber tubes so it's just a straight you know straight gauge tube for all the you know for your main triangle and then they just glued them inside a aluminum lugs and called that a frame <laughs> so yeah there are i mean they're, they're getting better about making larger pieces of the frame out of one mold at a time but it can get tricky you know depending on what you're building to build it all inside one mold so you may have like multiple pieces still that have to be joined after they after they cure right but yeah you're not typically gonna see any sort of joints or anything once it's all done it will you shouldn't yeah it'll all look (laughs) continuous and again that's another way you can help identify frames, you know, looking at it. If it's smooth and you don't see any of the joints or anything, that's good chance that's carbon. Yeah. If you flick it and it sounds like a piece of plastic, <laughs> it's probably carbon. There you go. Or you lift it up and it's really light. Yeah. It's good. Good chance that's carbon too. So where does most of the carbon fabrication take place? I know it's mostly Taiwan and China, but that seems to be changing, right? Uh, I would say changing very, very slowly. It's, it's mostly, mostly Taiwan and China, like you said, some other Southeast Asian countries as well, but you are seeing a couple of companies in the, in the U S trying to get into carbon manufacturing. But yeah, I think that's, that's mostly going to be on the boutique side of things. Yeah. Most of the raw material still does come from Asia from what I've read and, Obviously, a lot of the expertise is still there. You know, that's where all the people who work in the factories and, you know, where all the equipment is and everything. So that is a big part of why it's done there. And we are, what we're seeing though, is we're seeing companies, small companies like Alchemy in Colorado. And there's a new company in Arkansas, Allied, that's making carbon frames. So it is possible to do in the U.S., but it's just not super cost effective for a number of reasons. Right. Trek does still build some of their highest end carbon bikes in Wisconsin. I was actually just watching a video about this, but they only make about 20 frames per day. And just to give you an idea of how labor intensive this is, there's at least 50 people that are involved in the process of each frame from, um, yeah, from cutting out the fabric to painting it. So pretty, pretty labor intensive process. So that's why you can, you can see why this is done in a country with lower labor costs. Um, and like Jeff said, the expertise is there too. Yeah, that makes sense. What's up with the different grades of carbon we're seeing bike companies use these days? One of the first ones that comes to mind is Santa Cruz, where they have two different versions of carbon. They're calling the higher end one CC and the lower grade of carbon C. What What's driving this? Why are companies doing this? And what is the difference in the different carbon fibers they use? 
Um, as far as I know, I mean, you could be looking at different types of weaves, but you could also be looking at different types of resin that are lighter. Um, maybe there's just like a little more attention paid to the higher end frames and a little more finishing and that's how they shave some of that weight. Yeah. So basically it's just a difference in weight. Like Santa Cruz, I think they say there's no difference in strength or stiffness between the frames and the ride quality should be almost identical. Intense is another company that does this. They offer two levels of their carbon frame. And I don't know if Santa Cruz does this or not, but one one of the things that Intense does on their, their SL level frames, which are the higher ones, is they use titanium hardware on it just to shave that little bit of extra weight. Right. So, I mean, it's really just getting like the blingiest of bling. And again, another way for them to offer more price points kind of in between an aluminum bike and the highest end carbon. So I'm not sure. Did you check the prices on that? I didn't. Yeah, uh, I don't have the prices handy, but what my understanding is that a lot of these companies, they have the carbon fiber that they've been using for years and years. And what they found is a slightly heavier carbon weave that they can use that is less expensive. So basically they're they're keeping their original, which is now the high end, and they found like a lower end carbon that they can use. And again, the claim is that the only difference is the weight and and obviously the price. So it's a little bit heavier, but still carbon, still got all the same uh, advantages over, say, aluminum. Um, but yeah, just slightly less expensive. Yeah, Yeti's another one that does that. I'm thinking about it. They're Turk. Right. So... Let's talk about some of the advantages of carbon. We've hit on this uh, in talking about a lot of the others and comparing them to carbon, but let's lay it out and be explicit. So what's so good about carbon? I'll be explicit. <laughs> so now I can swear? No, not oh, this time. Dang. Well, it's very light, at least uh, it can be. So obviously if you keep adding material, eventually you'll approach the weight of aluminum. But generally speaking, carbon is going to be super, super light. Um, and that's because you can choose where you're placing the material, right? So you need more at the head tube, just slap a bunch more layers of carbon up there. You don't need so much material in the middle of the tube, then, you know, slip that in your pocket. Hey, take that home. That's for you. So yeah, it's really light. Uh, it can be very stiff. Again, that kind of goes to the adjusting the ride characteristics. Um, you can make it really stiff where it needs to be, but then unstiff where it doesn't need to be flexible there you go so yeah i think those are the some of the main advantages and then one of the things that's i'd say particularly applicable to us mountain bikers for full suspensions at least you can create extremely complex shapes that would just be next to impossible to do in any other material yeah yeah so you see like the really swoopy top tubes and things like that that's usually going to be carbon. And we're seeing too, you know, people, it seems like they did that first with carbon because they could. And then people started saying, how can we do that with aluminum? And they're starting to figure it out with hydroforming and things. But yeah, like you said, there's probably some shapes that they'll never be able to replicate with another material. Now with those advantages, there must be some disadvantages. So lay a couple of them on us. I I would, I would say, let's talk about the expense first. Um, Carbon fiber, definitely tends to be one of the most expensive apart from titanium, I would say. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's labor intensive. It's the hot new thing, even though it's been around for 20 years or whatever. So yeah, it's still going to cost, uh, cost more than the other frame materials. Is it more than titanium? I mean, they're about on par, I would guess. I guess it really depends. I mean, I don't know. A hardtail moots frame is probably like three grand and a uh, you know, you could you could get a CC Santa Cruz frame for about the same price. So right, and that comes with a shock. So it's expensive. I know. I, I think this uh, again. This is one of those things that it's like a a relic from bygone days, but still haunts the material. Is uh, the failure mode, and this still can happen. I mean, everything every, you can break anything. Definitely proof of that. Carbon fiber is extremely strong, but it's also brittle. So it doesn't it doesn't deform. No, it does not bend. It does not bend. You know, if you if you crash a steel bike and you bend it, like 
you know, you can, you, you can see that and you're like, oh, I bent my bike and it's ruined. Maybe I can fix it. Who knows? You know, you can, you can bend aluminum, but carbon when it fails can do so. I don't want to say tends to, but it definitely can fail catastrophically. Yeah. Not to alarm our listeners. No, but, but catastrophically meaning like it's going to crack and it's not coming back from that, you know? No. I think, yeah, people are worried and I don't know, maybe they're Thoughts of like, you know, your handlebar snapping and like getting impaled with jagged shards of carbon. Like, I guess that maybe could happen, but it doesn't happen. It's usually more of like a crack and the thing, you know, shears off completely or something like that. But it's done. It's done. And yeah, it's not like other materials where it's just going to kind of bend and be in a weird position. Uh, Let's talk also about the waste. We, We said with... I guess with all the other metal materials, I don't know if we mentioned it explicitly with titanium, but all those materials, you can recycle the waste from that. But carbon, there's a problem with that. Yeah, because I don't think they have a really good method for recycling. I mean, these companies claim that they're recycling their either old frames or the the extra cuts from their carbon sheets. Obviously, I mean, they're trying to maximize that stuff and they're designing how they cut the pieces in the first place to minimize waste. But anytime you're cutting, there's going to be some extra. And since this carbon is pre-impregnated with resin, that's a concern, right? Because, I mean, you can't, I mean, what do you do with that? Yeah, there's no way to separate them. Clear coat, yeah. And you got the resin in there itself. So it's just kind of a mess. And then what do you do with all these, like, broken carbon fiber strands? You can't, like... right you know, knot them back together into a string. So, yeah, I I read an article from Outside Magazine recently about this and they were talking about Specialized and Specialized has had this program for recycling carbon, particularly carbon bikes and parts. So if you, you know, break your handlebars or you, you have some kind of warranty issue and you send your carbon part back to Specialized, uh, they were, they're telling people they're going to recycle it, but it turns out they don't know how to do it yet. So they have like a big warehouse full of these parts that they're, you know, I mean, they're, they're trying to do the right thing and they're kind of waiting for somebody to figure out a process for actually doing this in a cost effective way. But for now, yeah, nobody can really recycle that stuff. And it's kind of starting to pile up from what I understand. Yeah, last I heard that they were going to shoot it into space on one of Elon Musk's rockets. Yeah, be better than sending a perfectly good Tesla up there. Yeah, right? Here's a bunch of old frames. Ride at your own risk. Um, yeah, I think along those lines of the waste, it kind of goes to the ethical concerns. I think some people do have those sort of uh, you know ecological and ethical concerns about carbon fiber because it's it's a pretty nasty material to work with or it can be so yeah that's what i was going to ask is that i mean i imagine there are there are fumes involved and it, it can be a hazardous material to work with yeah you don't want to be you know if you're sanding it after the things come out of the mold you, it's not really awesome to be inhaling carbon particles right yeah makes sense so yeah it's and then you know other countries um you know some of the countries where they do this manufacturing maybe they don't have as stringent environmental regulations and what are they doing with their waste right yeah that's a big question and dumping it in the ocean yeah right i think that was part of the outside piece as well that they went to some of these factories and asked them what they do with the waste and they said they just throw it in the ocean out of sight out of mind yeah yeah that's one way to deal with it but and we're seeing too you know this was a few years ago when people were protesting like nike and other apparel brands, you know, for their sort of labor standards and things. And and you see people doing it with the iPhone now as well. But anytime you're manufacturing overseas, there is that potential that workers are being mistreated or the processes aren't, you know, as safe as they should be or as good for the environment as they should be. So, and we've seen companies sort of take an ethical stand, right? Pole uh, was a bike company that said they investigated doing carbon fiber bikes, but um, in the end, they they couldn't do it because because of those challenges. Yeah, and so they chose to what they do 
machine titanium or no, they machined aluminum, right? They're machining. Yeah. Yeah. They machined a frame out of a block of aluminum somehow. Yeah. But even the inside. So don't think it's like a solid aluminum frame. They figure out how to get in there and do some crazy machining to make tubes. And then they have to, yep. And then they have to recycle a ton of shavings after that, I'm sure. Finally, before we wrap up, let's talk about some weird mountain bike frame materials. What's some of the weirdest stuff you've seen mountain bikes made out of? Definitely the weirdest one for me is wooden bikes. And I mean like bikes made from actual wood. Like those little kid bikes, the little striders made out of plywood? No, that's not so weird. But I'm talking about like actual road and mountain bikes made out of wood. There's I can't remember the name of the company, but there's one... I think they're out in Portland, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they make wooden bikes. And they, I mean, they're really well done, but uh, for whatever reason, they just don't don't speak to me. No, I've, I've never ridden one. It's, it's a work of art for sure. There's a lot of craftsmanship that goes into building that. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that it would be fun to ride. Yeah. I mean, he's selling them, so someone's buying them. But to me, it's one of those things that's just, just doing it because you can, which is fine. But I just won't join in on that one. Yeah. Speaking of like artsy, crafty mountain bikes, I remember seeing this. It was an ad. I don't I don't know if anybody ever actually bought this, but I remember seeing a twenty-four karat gold fat bike. Well, that was just plated, right? What do you think about that? That does that speak to you? Okay. Yeah, it's just plated, unfortunately. I wish it was pure. But they priced it like it was pure gold. It was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, I mean, it was a fat bike, so I don't need it. But If it had been a regular bike, though, you probably would have jumped at it. Match my chains. Yeah. What about bamboo? You ever seen a bamboo bike, Jeff? Yes. And I want to say I've ridden one, but I could be wrong on that. Um, But yeah, you see them every year at like the trade shows. And I've got plenty of friends or just acquaintances that are like, oh, I'm building up a bamboo bike. And... I don't really get that. What do you think about those? Are you into that? I probably wouldn't take on that project myself, but I think they're pretty cool. It seems like an easy way to to build a bike could be could be fun. Not really a whole lot of skill required necessarily. You don't need any special tools. You don't need a torch or any welding know-how. You just need some carbon fiber and some resin and some glue and you got a bike. Yeah, and it should be pretty sustainable. I mean, bamboo is grows really fast and Yeah, I got some in my yard if anybody needs it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it grows all over the place and I've seen some companies too that seem to think that this is a material that they can use to build affordable bikes for people in like third world countries and stuff and I've seen some efforts at that, but it it does it still seems a little gimmicky to me. Like I don't I don't know how well that works, but if you break a tube or something, then I guess it's pretty easy to replace. You just go go out in the yard and cut down another piece and plug it in, right? Exactly. Well, if you're enjoying the Single Tracks podcast, we'd love it if you would rate us on the iTunes store, in your podcast app, wherever you rate podcasts. And if you have feedback for us, we'd love to hear that as well. You can email us anytime at help at singletracks.com and we'll try to help you out and maybe talk about your topic on our next episode. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.